Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. We're going to talk about some things from the Bible today that have been messing with me lately. Now, it's a concept that I've even preached before. I mean, it's probably been at least 10 years since I've talked about it. But it's a concept that is in churchianity. Like, it's, we, we talk about it, but I don't know that we ever really pause and study what the Bible says about it. And it's one of these subjects that kind of messes with dudes a lot. Because the Bible says that the followers of Jesus, all of us combined, make up the bride of Christ. That he is the groom and we are the bride, all of us. Sorry, fellas. And I, I think that there's a lot more to the concept of the church being the bride of Christ that we don't talk about and we need to unpack what the Bible says about it. So we're, I'm gonna just basically read you every verse on the Bible talking about the church being the bride. But I want us to lean in. Like I want us to really tune our ear to what the Holy Spirit is saying and, and allow him to, to teach us and transform us and do something new and different in our lives. Now, if we're gonna talk about the biblical expression that, that the church is the, the body of Christ, but also the bride of Christ, we need to put it in context of ancient Jewish marriage. Because when I talk about us being the bride of Christ, we go to 2023, you know, American Western marriage. Well, that's not what the writers of the Bible were talking about when they wrote these scriptures and what God had put on their heart to say. Because in the ancient world, Jewish marriage had some very strict and very specific customs. First of all, all marriages were arranged. It was not, I fall in love with you, I think you're cute, we, we rubbed hands at the water cooler at work. No, it was the, the father would do the shidukin, where the one, God bless me, one father, in a, a lot of ways, it was meant to expand the family, to expand resources, to expand land, to expand business, and uh, the father of the groom would be looking for a bride for his son. And he would talk to the father of the bride and they would, they would make an agreement that there would be this agreement, this handshake, you know, that, that they were going to have this boy and this girl marry. But you have to remember, it's the ancient world. So a dowry had to be paid. There was a bride price that the bride's family would give to the groom's family. That, that, that the bride to be given in that marriage, there had to be a price tag along with it. That was called the muhar. Number three, this was a, a legal agreement. Now, we still do marriage certificates today, but it's so much more than that because long before the, the wedding ever happens, the ketubah happens where there would be a, a written contract between the two families that this boy and this girl were, were going to be married. And when the two families would come together and they would sign this marriage contract, from that moment on, they were married but they didn't get to live together. In fact, it started the fourth step of biblical marriage, Jew, ancient Jewish marriage, which was the betrothal period. We would consider this our engagement, but I remind you, legally, they're already married. They've already signed the marriage contract. So the betrothal is when the, the, the groom returns to his father's house and prepares a place for his bride. 
in, in the ancient world, and this still happens in the Middle East today, a, a young man would literally build a room onto his father's house. So if dad had a property, then the, the son would just build a, a, a room or two adjacent to his father's house. So, and then during the betrothal period, the, the bride would, would be preparing herself for the wedding. She would be studying how to be a good wife and a good mother. And then the closer the wedding got, she would be preparing herself. She would be um, uh, observing, you know, purity, of course, but she was, there, were, there was cleansing rituals. There was, you know, she, she also wanted to look good. I mean, no, every bride wants to look amazing on, on her wedding day. And, and she would, you know, prepare her wedding garments to be worn on that, on, on the big wedding. Now, the betrothal period was about a year. So this young couple would have to be separated for about a year. Fast forward to Jesus' time when he was born. Mary and Joseph were betrothed, but they were not yet living together. They were not yet married. They were committed to each other. They had signed the ketubah, but they had not come together in uh, marital relations yet. During this time, it was important that purity was maintained so that it, both of these young people would be virgins. Then, after about a year, there was a wedding, the Nisuin, where the groom would go fetch his bride and all of her friends and all of her family and the wedding party. And, and it was this great celebratory caravan from her town back to his house. And then when everybody gathered, they would have this small ceremony. They would um, immediately, the, the marriage would be consummated. And then there was going to be, the final step was a wedding feast, a celebration, where both families would come together and all out party. Some of these, if you could afford it, would last a week of just feasting and dancing and celebrating. It was just this massive celebration. And when I study the concept from the ancient Jewish biblical picture of marriage, and that we as the church are referred to as the bride of Christ, and I look at my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the entire story is a wedding story. Jesus is our bridegroom, and we that make up the corporate body of believers, we are his bride. Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself because I have promised you, uncommon church, to be a pure bride to one husband, to Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. So Paul is telling the church in Corinth, he's like, listen, I have a job, and that is to help prepare you, prepare the bride for the wedding. I'm gonna help you prepare your garments. I'm gonna help you prepare your, your cleansing ritual. I'm gonna help you to, to be ready for this impending wedding. Now, before we go deeper into this, I just need to put a little pause, especially for the guys that are feeling kind of creepy that we're referred to as the bride of Christ. This illustration is one of the most beautiful, poignant, intimate portrayals of how God wants to have an intimate heart relationship with his people. But we cannot look at this concept of the bride of Christ through like a sexual or even a romantic lens because that obviously disqualifies you know, all of us guys. And, and if you're careful, it can make your relationship with God like kind of unhealthy and weird and creepy. It, it's not a romantic thing, it's not a sexual thing. We can certainly look at the, the passion, the, 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 the emotion, the, the fire that burns in our belly for Jesus, 
but it's not a romantic thing. It's not a romantic feeling. Now, that, that being said, it's not an intellectual thing either. There is a lot of passion. There is a lot of emotion in love. And there's a lot of passion and emotion in ancient Jewish marriage. Jesus, the Bible just said that our God is a jealous God. He has strong feelings about you. He wants all of your love and all of your attention. He does not want you looking after other lovers. He is jealous for your attention. It's not a romantic thing. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a passion of our hearts. Let's break this thing down. So we're talking about the fact that the ancient picture of, of, of biblical Jewish marriage directly applies to us, to the body of believers. Well, marriage was created by God in Genesis chapter 2. A man would leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife, and those two become as one. They become one flesh. Now, those of you that are wondering um, if you have ever had intercourse with somebody other than your spouse, you have committed yourself in marriage to them. Because in this Genesis chapter 2, they didn't have a marriage ceremony. They didn't have the six steps of marriage. All they had was the husband and wife coming together to become one. That's why it's so important that you do not have sex until you are married. And if you have had sex with somebody other than your spouse, you need to repent and break that covenant that you made with somebody other than your spouse. This passage from Genesis is describing the, the, the marriage, the covenant between a man and a woman. But it also describes this covenant, this passionate love that we have for God. Ephesians chapter five, the scriptures say a man's gonna leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife. The two are united into one. We just read that from Genesis. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. You have been invited into this mystery. You have been invited into this secret place. You have been invited into this thing that God created where in the natural world, a man and woman can become one. And in the spiritual world, when we repent of our sin and make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we are joined together with Jesus. Let's talk about the, the match between the two fathers. God is in heaven. Jesus, his father, was looking for a bride for his boy. And then God sees you. And he sees all of us. And he's like, you know what? They're not perfect, but I could, through my son, help make them perfect. And that this people, uncommon church, would be perfect for my boy. So the two fathers had to talk. And the Bible says that the devil is our father. Because our mankind, ever since Genesis chapter 3, has been given over to sin. So that there had to be a match made, but then there would be a bride price. And because of our sin, the bride price was death. That we would have to die. The bride would have to die for our sins. Because it's always the devil who wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. And by the way, if the devil has stolen something in your life, he's not satisfied with only stealing from you. He wants to come back and then kill and destroy. That's why he tries to attack your heart. That's why he tries to attack your peace. That's why he tries to attack your mind. That's why he tries to attack your body or your marriage or your children or your finances because the devil is a jerk and will always steal, kill, and destroy. 
But that's who our father is. Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. So God and the devil have agreed to the match and agreed to this bride price. But then God pulled the, remember you'd play in uh, Uno and somebody would drop the, the wild card. John 3, 16, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but instead have everlasting life. See, God the Father looked at you and thought you would be an amazing bride for his son. So he chose you. In fact, the Bible says that he first loved us. Long before we ever loved the Lord, he loved us, John 15, 16. So that bride price comes from our sin. Romans chapter six and verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. If you have ever sinned one time, you've told one little white lie, you've, you've ever sinned in one small way, the, the payment, the penalty, the price of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have a match and we have a price that has been set and that price that has been set is that somebody's gonna have to die for this bride or she dies herself. But then Jesus comes along and lives in this earth for 33 years and never sins. Jesus comes along and he decides that he will lay his life down for his bride. He will take our sin and put it on his back. So a price has been paid for you and I. In fact, Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, don't you know that you're not your own? You have been bought with a price. See, when you choose to follow Jesus, when you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin, when you choose to follow him, he is paying a ransom for you. He is redeeming you from death and giving you the gift of eternal life. So therefore, our lives no longer belong to us. When you become a parent, your life no longer belongs to you. Your good sleep doesn't belong to you. Your money doesn't belong to you. You're driving around to soccer and ballet and your, your late night science projects. It doesn't belong to you because you chose to have children. Look, I didn't want kids, I just wanted to have sex. All right, I'm talking, that's fellas. When you choose to follow Jesus, your life no longer belongs to you, it belongs to him. We should devote ourselves to serving him and honoring him and thanking him for the price that he paid for us. At our church, we believe that every member of our church is a minister of the gospel. So therefore, we should want to serve on a team We should want to serve in our community. We we should want to go on missions and serve other people. We should want to pray. We should want to give. We should want to worship. We should want to press in for more of God's love and power and presence. We should want to read our Bibles and have it feed and nourish our soul and transform our lives. Why? Because our lives are not our own. They've been bought with a price. First Peter, did you not know that your life, God paid a ransom for your life? And he saved you from your empty life of your ancestors. We read this last week. The ransom he paid was not gold and silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless and spotless lamb of God. That's gonna come into play here in just a minute. What's the most expensive thing that you own? What's the most expensive thing in your home? It might be a TV, diamond ring, computer, your grandma's china, you know, whatever the most valuable thing in your life, I'll bet you treat it really well. Like you're not gonna be super careless with a diamond ring. You're not gonna be super careless with a a big 70 inch flat screen TV. You're not gonna be taking a MacBook and just throwing it against the wall. The most valuable things in your life you treat with care because of the price that was paid for it, right? Your life was bought with the most precious thing 
ever on earth, and that is the precious blood of Jesus. So that's how valuable you are to God. That's how important you are to God. So you need to take special care of your life. You need to take special care of your heart. You need to take special care of your time. You need to take special care because you are valuable to God. He paid a high price for you. You matter to God. He's crazy about you. So there's a, a contract, a marriage contract, a ketubah, where the, the two families agree and they come into this legally binding contract. But it's more than a contract, it's a covenant. A, a covenant, see in a contract, if you've ever gotten a, a cell phone payment where you know, you're gonna be with T-Mobile or Verizon or, or AT&T, it's this like long 75 page document that you lie and you check the checkbox at the end that says, I read it. You know my stepfather actually reads every word of those? And I'm always thinking, when you get to the end of that, what are you going to do? Like, no, on page 14, paragraph 3, section 2B, I don't agree with that. Like, you're going to sign it in the end anyway, so just. But in a contract, you're trying to protect and limit your rights and responsibilities. In a covenant, you're laying down your rights and responsibilities and saying, I'm all in. I'm all in forever. So the bride and the groom are not in contract with each other. They are in covenant with one another. But then what happens? We enter into the betrothal period where the groom leaves. And he's going to go prepare a place. But the family has a copy of that covenant and it has been signed. And our covenant with God was signed in the blood of Jesus. Matthew chapter 26 the Lord is celebrating Passover with his disciples. By the way, if you haven't bought your tickets for Passover, I would strongly encourage you to do that this week. And he took the cup of wine, he gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to each one of the disciples. He said, I want you guys each to drink of this because this is my blood. And it confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins of many. See, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life and you ask him to forgive you, you repent of your sin, you enter into a covenant, a bride price, a kitubah, that was signed in the blood of Jesus. So don't take your relationship with God lightly. We enter into this season now of the betrothal. It's bittersweet because this young woman is excited. She's gonna be married a year from now. She's legally married by a covenant that the families have signed and agreed on, but she has to wait. Do you know that the, the waiting period at bare minimum had to be nine months? Because they had to make sure that it wasn't a baby coming. There was no shotgun weddings in the ancient Jewish world. So nine months at least, a year later, they're in this betrothal period where the bridegroom is at his father's house preparing a place for his bride to come. John chapter 14, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Just trust in God and trust also in me because there is more than enough room in my father's house. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? I'm telling you the whole Bible is a marriage story. When everything is ready, Jesus says, I will return. I will come back for you and I will get you so that you always be with me where I am. Right now in heaven, Jesus is preparing a place for you in his father's house. He is working with you on his mind. My question is, is he on your mind all the time? Josie and I met the day after Christmas, 1995. Yes, we are that old. And um, 
Six weeks later, we were engaged, but we just kind of stumbled into the engagement because we were friends, we didn't date, but the Lord spoke to our hearts to get married. So we just stumbled into an agreement verbally to get married, but I didn't even have a ring. It was just like, I just tripped and fell and was like, will you marry me? She said, yes. Like a couple of days later, she left on a scheduled trip to Israel to visit her family that had just recently moved to Israel for their ministry. I was coming two weeks later to speak at a youth conference in Israel. So for those two weeks, I am newly engaged. I have fallen head over in heels with the most amazing woman in my life. Once she got on that airplane, I, I, I can guarantee you, I thought about her like an obsessive amount, morning, noon, and night, and there was no FaceTime. <laughs> Do you know what there was? And this is so bananas now. There was fax time. We literally sent fax love letters to each other. That's how old we are. Email didn't exist. I had to fax my love to her. But I knew we would soon be together again. And in that two weeks, I got a ring. And right there in Israel, just north of Caesarea, which I'll take you to visit in November if you come on the Israel tour with us. Right on the Mediterranean, I got down on one knee and I said, will you marry me? And thank God she said yes. I was infatuated. She was gonna be my wife forever. So my every thought had Josie stamped on it. Jesus is in heaven right now at his father's house preparing a place to receive you and you are on his mind. He's thinking about you all the time. I'm telling you, church, there should be such a passion in our hearts for Jesus that when we wake up in the morning, we're thinking about Jesus. When we brush our teeth, we're thinking about Jesus. When we're going through our work day, we don't separate ourselves from Jesus. Jesus is with us and he's a part of what we're doing at work and school and, and doing laundry and making dinner that we're thinking about Jesus. He should be on our mind all the time because he will return for his bride. He is gonna come get you and you are on his mind. I want to double dog dare you to put Jesus on your mind all day, every day. The bride during this time of betrothal, remember, she, he's preparing a place. She's making herself ready. She is learning some very deep things from her mother and her grandmother. She is maturing. How do I become a great wife? How do I become a great mother? How do I take care of a home? And she's purifying herself. She's getting ready for the, the wedding night. Ephesians chapter five, husbands, you should love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. She is washed by the cleansing of God's word. If you haven't read your Bible in a minute, there's a reason why you think things and say things you shouldn't. You need cleansing by the word of God. Jesus did this to present her, his bride, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, uncommon church will be holy and without fault. So right now the Holy Spirit is working in your life to help make you pure, to help make you spotless, blameless before God without any other blemish. So church family, we are in this season of preparation. We should be making ourselves pure. No bride is gonna show up for the wedding 
you know, without brushing her hair, without brushing her teeth, without cleaning and ironing her dress. We're called to be a glorious church, not limp our way across the finish line. We're called and invited by God to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, holy and pure before God. Jesus is not coming for some limp-wristed, apathetic, mamby-pamby, worldly church. He is calling the church out of the world to purify herself by his word. I feel like I'm preaching better than you're amending. Thank you, Catherine. I love when Rick and Catherine are back. Then we get to the wedding. And on that wedding, there's this beautiful thing where the, the, the groom doesn't even know when, but the father would be like, go get her. And the, the young man will gather up his buddies on horses or camels or donkeys or whatever, and they'll go get the bride. And along the way, they'll be like, y'all coming to the wedding? And he'll go get his bride and all of her family and all of her bridesmaids and all of her friends. But you never knew, I mean, it was, it was the ancient world. You never knew when the groom was gonna show up. You just had to live all day, every day, ready for him to show up. So every morning, the girl woke up with butterflies in her stomach. Maybe he's gonna come today. Maybe today is my wedding day. I don't know. But there was this anticipation. There was this excitement. She didn't show up for worship late with her hands in her pockets. She came was so excited because she would be united with her, the lover of her soul. The groom would show up unannounced and everybody would join this bridal procession. I don't have time to read it, so I'm gonna give you the homework. Matthew chapter 25. Just read Matthew 25, and in there, you see the story of 10 virgin girls. They were friends of the bride, waiting for the bridegroom to come. But see, the bridegroom came in the, the darkest part of the night, and they did not prepare enough oil in their lamps. So when he came, half of the girls, half of the church wasn't ready to receive him. Why do you assume that you're one of the ones that has enough oil in your lamp? You should be constantly refilling by the Holy Spirit the oil reserves that you have in your heart so that even in the darkest part of the night, you're shining bright for the Lord Jesus. You should be longing for and looking for. Your heart should constantly be pounding like Jesus. I don't know when you're gonna return, but I'm ready and I'm longing and I'm looking forward to your return. Come on, somebody. See, the funny thing is we're not gonna know. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 13, no one's gonna know the day or the hour. No one's gonna know when these things are gonna happen. Not the angels in heaven, not even the Son, capital S, himself knows. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when, then you should just be on guard and stay alert and be ready because Jesus is coming back. So, you know, look busy, you know? I used to be so afraid as a, High school kid when I had one foot in the world and one foot in church, that when I had my foot in the world that Jesus would come back. Because it was the 80s and 90s and we were all afraid of the return of Jesus. I can tell you what, I am no longer afraid of the return of Jesus. I am longing for it. I am looking for it. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The final step is this feast, this celebration. Revelation chapter 19, let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him because the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride at Uncommon Church has prepared herself with the linens to wear 
She has been given the pure linens. The fine linen represents the good deeds done by uncommon church. Church, we make our own wedding dress. We make our own wedding dress with our good deeds. Don't show up for the wedding celebration naked. Now, I wanna have you examine your life. What good deeds are you doing for the Lord? Now, I also need to stop right here. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't do any kind of works. It's an act of grace. It's an act of faith. It's an act of love. But I will also say this, faith without works is dead. I say I love Josie. I back it up in the way that I bless her. I protect her. I provide for her. I support her. I encourage her. I don't just claim to love her. I back it up with my actions and my whole life is laid down to serve her. And it's not one thing or the other. It's both working together. It is faith and works. But in verse eight, our works weave the fine linen for the dress that we wear. Don't you want the son to introduce you to the father and have him be proud? Like you don't wanna have Jesus come up with some kind of dirty, stained, half-naked harlot and being like, I went back and this is what she did for 2,000 years. She believes Netflix over the Bible. She believes Lady Gaga more than the Holy Spirit. I don't know what happened to the bride, but she got so sinful. Or wouldn't you want Jesus to be like, dad, 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 dad. Here she is. This is Uncommon Church. She is just so clothed in righteousness and holiness and purity. She loves me so passionately. I'm so proud to introduce you. Jesus is wooing us. He's got his arms wide open and he's like, come on. I don't want religion. I want a love relationship. He's reaching out his arms and he's like, he's, he's proposing. I, I know that in the ancient Jewish world, there wasn't a proposition, there wasn't a proposal, but he's like, listen, I've already paid the price. I had you on my mind at the cross that day. I, I, I've already paid to redeem you from sickness and sin and death and hell and addiction. You've been redeemed from the power of Satan. It is our job to enter into that relationship with him. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, it's in red letters in your Bible, come, all you that are weary, all of you that carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble, I'm gentle of heart. You're gonna find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. God is asking if you'll marry him. God is asking, how's your soul? Sometimes when people will come and sit down with Josie and I for some counseling, one of the questions I like to ask people is, how is your soul? And they always lie and go, oh, it's good. I'm like, is it? How's your sleep? How's your peace? How's your finances? How's your relationships? How is your soul? And then there's usually a tear that wells up in an eye. Well, actually, how is your soul uncommon church? Because the creator of the universe is offering to take the burdens that you carry and put them on his shoulder. And he says, I'm gonna give you a burden that's light and easy breezy. It's joy and hope and peace in the house of the Lord. You've been invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. 
make no doubt about it, this season that we're in right now, we are to be preparing ourselves, making ourselves holy and pure. And I'm not saying you have to be good enough to be accepted by God. Jesus is the one who washes us and makes us pure. But we do have to live our lives like pure virgins that we're not defiled by the things of this world. So get ready, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming back. And we should be looking and longing for his return. Matthew chapter 24. You must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So the bride should be living in a continual, joyful expectation of the lover's return. He could come at any moment. He could come right now. Paul told the church in Corinth, you've got every spiritual gift you're ever gonna need. Your job now is to eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when the Lord Jesus returns to collect his bride. Live every day with a longing and expectation for him to return. Hop up on your feet. I remind you that it's the word of God that cleanses us. I, I, I can't stress enough the importance of you reading your Bible every day. Five or 10 minutes if you're not a heavy reader. Audio Bible if you don't know how to read. If English is not your first language, you do not get extra credit for listening or reading the Bible in English whatever your native language is, whatever speaks to your heart the most. I'll also say this, this is not a popular concept in 2023 in the West. We as the bride have to submit ourselves to the groom. He is the head of the house. He is the head of our hearts. And we follow him, we surrender to him. We do what he asks us to do. We don't fight against him when he's asking us. Josie and I had a layover in Spain yesterday, Friday, two days ago, coming back. And I was in Madrid and I thought, this is the first time I've ever been to Madrid. So I pulled out my little phone and I have a list of countries that we visited and ministered in and countries I've laid over in. And Spain was country number 46 for me. Why have I traveled around the world, logged almost a million miles on airplanes, preached the gospel in 40 nations? he asked me to and I'm not in control of my life he is why do I come to Dallas and pastor a church that failed for five years it was the hardest thing we've ever done in our lives because he asked me to we make less money than we could make if we worked in a job outside of the church because he asked me to there's things that God asks us to do and because our lives are not our own we just submit to his leadership. We submit to his authority and say, I am the bride, you are the groom, you're in charge and I'll go where you wanna go and I'll do what you want me to do. I'm not in charge of my own life. Even unto death, I was in a Muslim nation a couple of months ago. I don't wanna say publicly, I still have friends there. Where a pastor friend that I made, his brother is on death row for being a believer and for preaching the gospel. Some of the places I go are not safe. I, you're like, well, don't you care? What if you get killed? If they kill me, I go be with Jesus. It's a shortcut to the wedding supper. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you can't, don't threaten me with Jesus. <laughs> I 
Now, if it was like Indiana Jones, if it was like a, we're gonna make you be in a room full of snakes, then. <laughs> we were out there, the, the property that we were at last week was overgrown, like five foot hall, tall were some of the weeds and stuff like that. They didn't have a weed whacker. They did. You know, they had those little battery powered weed whackers. That's what they had. I was like, no, no, no. We need like America weed whacker. We went and got him a gas powered weed whacker. And uh, it was between me and Tony and Josh to go out there and start cutting that forest down. And my brother-in-law said, hey, there's snakes out there. I'm like, Josh, man, here you go. You get out there and whack those weeds, brother. My life is not my own. I serve at the pleasure of the Lord Jesus and I long for his return. One last verse, Revelation chapter 22. The spirit and the bride say, come, come Lord Jesus, come. Come in our worship service, come in our children's ministry, come in our teenagers on Wednesday night, come in our men and men of, uh, in the men's meeting in a couple of weeks, come men of iron, Lubbock next month. Come in our women's meeting in a couple of months. Come in our altars. Come in our worship. Come in our you groups. Come, Lord Jesus. Split the sky. I took our group one night to the Mount of Olives. And we stood where Jesus ascended into heaven and where he will return one day. Come on, somebody. I love standing in the Mount of Olives whenever I'm in Jerusalem. Because I just kind of look up and I just, just kind of picture the sky splitting open and Jesus returning with the hosts of heaven to get his bride. And I get excited. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, in the natural, I don't understand why Josie married me. It's just a goofy looking youth pastor making $500 a month, full time. She said yes. Came from a dysfunctional, broken family. She said yes. I had nothing to offer her but my undying love and affection. And she said yes. And for 27 years, I still don't feel worthy to have married such a jewel, such a queen. Lord, when I think about <laughs> what you have done for us, that you loved us before we loved you, that even when we were in sin, you loved us. Even when we were running from you, you loved us. And you wanted to have this passionate, covenant love relationship with us. You're amazing. I honor you. And I pray that you'd help me to purify myself by washing myself in your word, that you'd help me to mature and to grow, that you'd help me to iron out the wrinkles in my dress, that you'd help me to look and remove any spot, any stain in my heart so that I can be presented to the Father together with you as a pure and glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. <laughs> Holy Spirit, search my heart. If there's any wrinkle in my soul, if there's any stain in my heart, God, I don't want to live hiding things from you. I pray that you would expose them so that I can repent, that I can ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. God, I don't want to just trust the, the, the ministry that I do, the works that I do, the things that I do for you, but somehow there is a connection between my faith in you and the things I do for you. 
and that you are helping to create a fine linen dress through the works that I do for you in love. So God, I pray for me and my house that we would lay down our lives to submit to you, to surrender to you, and to serve you all the days of our lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you would be honest with Jesus and say, I do not feel like I am in that covenant relationship with Jesus. I do not feel like if the sky split open and Jesus returned that I would go to heaven. I do not feel like in my, in, my, in my heart of hearts, I know I am not a part of the bride of Christ, but your heart is pounding out of your chest because you wanna repent of sin, ask him to forgive you and receive the Lord Jesus in your heart and commit your whole life to knowing him, loving him, serving him. I can't pray it for you, but I can help you. I can lead you in a prayer of surrender to Jesus, asking him to forgive your sin. And it might be the first time in your life you've ever prayed a prayer like this, it might be the first time in a long time because you've allowed your heart to grow cold, you've allowed your love to grow cold, and you need to fan the embers, fan the flame of love in your heart for Jesus. If you're here this morning or you're watching on YouTube and you need to get, need to get right with God, either for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand up real high so I can, I can pray for you? Just shoot your hand up and say, preacher, pray for me. Lead me in that prayer. I wanna get right with God today. Is there anybody here this morning? I see your hand right there. Is there anybody else? I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? Shoot, I see your hand back there. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up real high. Say, preacher, pray for me. Good. All right, what about you that are watching online? Three people raised their hand and said, man, today is my day to get right with the Lord Jesus. Right there in your living room, right there in your car, wherever you're watching this. Just, if you're feeling that, man, raise your hand between you and God and say, I wanna pray this prayer and get right with the Lord today. If you believe this in your heart, I'll lead you in a prayer. Why don't you pray this out loud? Say, dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I'm so sorry. I repent and I surrender my life to you. I choose to love you, to serve you, to follow you, to long for you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me first. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for making me holy. I worship you. I honor you. Bless you, Lord Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Hey, for the three of you here and the three, whoever's online at home, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Golly, what a great day. What a great day. All right, here's what we're gonna do. A bunch of things are gonna all happen at once. I'd like our prayer team to come down to the front. If you're here this morning and there's pain in your body, if there's sickness in your body, maybe there's a pain in your heart, maybe there's a, a struggle in your mind, maybe your soul is really not well and you, you don't quite know how to pray the prayer to get health in your soul. These men and women love you, wanna pray for you, wanna prophesy over you and speak life over you. We've got a young person that's being baptized here in a moment. We, if, if you need to come and do business with God, just come and kneel at this altar during our time of worship. And just maybe, you ever had a fight with your spouse? You should be the first one to apologize. Maybe you need to come and apologize to the Lord Jesus for some of your behavior lately. Say, Lord, I'm just so sorry for looking at porn. I'm so sorry for getting high. I'm so sorry for getting drunk. I'm so sorry for sleeping with somebody I'm not married to. I'm so sorry that I haven't cracked my Bible in a month. I'm just sorry. And I pray you'd help me to do better. Whatever that looks like for you, don't leave here the same. Don't go to church and leave the same. What's the point of that? Just, I, I'm just gonna say stop going to church. But 
You're welcome to keep coming. But what a waste of oxygen. What a waste of space. To go to church and not have an encounter with heaven, to leave the same way you walked in, that's stupid. That's religion. I'm so sick of that. Golly. You've come here to have an encounter with God, so have an encounter with God. When we go into worship, lift your heart, lift your voice. If you need to fall on the floor, if you need to run around the room, I don't care, but I want you to tell Him how much you love Him. I want you to lift your heart and lift your hands and lift your voice and bless His holy name because He's good. He's been good. He is good. He'll always be good. Jesus, we bless you. We worship you. We thank you. God, you're amazing. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.